All right, good morning. So we've heard a lot of good guys preach lately. So it's been good to hear other people preaching. You know, not that Stephen's bad, but it's always good to hear others once in a while, as good as Stephen is. But so we've, you know, we got Les, Jeff, others as well. Um, and then, but now you get to hear from the guys shy. <laughs> so for those of you that maybe weren't here about a year ago, um, this is technically my second sermon. Uh, end of July, I preached uh, in our beautifully, ups- we had a beautifully upside down series that was going through the books, the letters of Corinthians. So I did the um, First Corinthians chapter 13, which is the, the famous love chapter. Um, so, and so that one was something where I was approached to do. Um, you know, Stephen approached me if, to fill in that week um, due to the obligation he had. But this time, um, I took more of an initiative to step up. He didn't come to me about doing this psalm series. Um, so, I, you know, I, and I think the reason behind that is once I did the Corinthians one, I felt just a little bit more confident. Um, and that's kind of what this psalm will touch upon, is confidence. Um, there was a lot of things, like I, I tro- was troubled with during this prep, like I did the, my first sermon was very distract, a lot of distractions, just a lot of things battling, but God is good, and you know, whatever message he was able to prepare today, he'll hope use it in some way. So there's an amen to that. Um, so with that, I guess we'll open up to today's psalm is 91. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, um, we typically have them in the back of the seats. Um, if you don't have one, keep it. We would call that a win for sure. We definitely love God's word around here, and it's a win for us if you you know, don't have a Bible and you just want to keep one of ours. So um, we'll also have the text up on the screen for those who uh, prefer it that way and those online. So, um, so yeah, so I was a little c- more confident this time, so that's why I felt the need to step up just to help out and hope Stephen's having a good sabbatical and a good rest. Um, so this Psalm 91 talks a lot about confidence, um, and that's kind of what you will find out as we go through a lot of the verses. Um, but before we go into that, just want to kind of give a background on the Psalms. Um, so as Stephen, so Stephen kicked off this first um, week of this series, and he covered, he mentioned a bunch of different things, like, you know, the Psalms, they cover a lot of the range of human emotion, um, like what the writer is feeling rather than what they're, what they did per se. Um, they reveal a lot of the struggle that the people of the biblical times is going through. Um, the idea is like when you read the Psalms that we should all feel overwhelmed and emotional, feel like a bunch of emotion, sorrow, praise, whatever it is, um, as we're reading it. Um, that's very consistent throughout the whole book of Psalms. Um, the so- book of Psalms is also the biggest book in the Bible. There's 150 Psalms. Um, I don't know about anyone else, but typically if I'm reading a physical Bible, more likely than not, if, I'm op- if I open it right in the middle, it's more likely going to go to this, one of the Psalms. So um, it's not going to end up going to one of the smaller books. So um, 
Then there's things uh, I think Jeff mentioned in his sermon a couple of weeks back. There's about um, 73 of the Psalms are roughly from David, 12 from Asaph. I didn't get stats on the rest of it, but um, one thing I did look at with, with what the others preached through was that um, they had like superscripts. So the superscripts tend to be mentioned like, a, like who's writing the Psalm. Um, and that was one thing with Psalm 91 that wasn't present like the other Psalms. Um, so we actually don't necessarily know f- with certainty who wrote Psalm 91. Um, but, but we do, based on some commentaries I read, we kind of have an idea. So based on one of the commentaries I read, um, they tend to, when an author's not known in the Psalms, that it tends to go, get credited to the last known author. And from the commentaries I read, the last known author was Moses and that was in the previous psalm, Psalm 90. Um, so if like Moses was assumed to have write this psalm, we're putting kind of the, the setting either around when he was ascending Mount Sinai or during the time of the completion of the tabernacle um, in that time period. Um, and as I mentioned, this psalm also is, tends to be, when you read it through, a psalm of confidence. It's often called the soldier's psalm for that reason. There's a lot of soldiers that will have like imprints of this psalm particularly because um, it gives them that strength, that wisdom. And we'll kind of see that as we uh, dive in here. So with that being said, um, let's get into the first verse. So the first verse says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So um, we see that God has two referred to in two different ways here. The Most High and the Almighty. Um, one thing that's hard about this is like, what's the difference? I mean, I was at first I was looking like there was two, like I was trying to think there were two different things, but it's really meaning the same thing. Um, we see these um, mentioned even in the with the patriarchs in the beginning in Genesis. They use these names as well, like the time of Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob. Um, so. Um, but it's just kind of just elevating God's name in two different manners, and we'll kind of start to get into that. So first, I just want to focus on the first part of this verse, the who, where it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So dwells is the key word here. Um, us as men and women tend to seek out great variety of earthly shelters, um, whether it could be idols or some structure that, um, that we feel like will give us comfort um, to give us the protection that we need. Um, and, but this is kind of talking more about, you know, the shelter that's in the context of God. Like, God is considered the ultimate shelter, um, and that, um, that we, we don't, the idea is we don't have a strong, um, leaning on that. We're always running to these other shelters that we find on earth, whether it's a regular building, some sort of object, the, or something that's bound to, to crumble at some point. Um, then we see, you know, this is where Most High is kind of given the title here. So this name is just kind of suppressing God, um, stressing God's supreme power and sovereign rule over the world. So that's, I feel like, more of the key part of this verse than, say, the shelter part is that, that Most High part because it's basically saying that this is the best you're going to get when it comes to protection, and it's God. So, um, 
now in the second part of the verse where it says, we'll abide in the shadow of the Almighty, this is emphasizing those that are willing to kind of live under God's, will live under God's protection um, and also be in accordance with who he is. So it's one thing to kind of say you're living under his protection, but it's also another thing to actually walk with him. Um, and I think we can all point to times where we didn't, we would say we trust God, but then we don't actually walk faithfully um, with who he is in our daily lives. Um, so as the Almighty, God is fully capable of accomplishing all his promises. Um, now to kind of spin off, to kind of give another light to this part of the verse, in Psalm 6, 61, 4, um, it says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, Selah. Um, so we see a little different, instead of shelter, there's a word tent here. Um, King James Version also uses secret place instead of shelter. Um, so, but the idea is whether it's dwelling in a shelter, tent, secret place, um, and if, like, say, if, this, if Moses is indeed the author here, um, this verse is most likely um, in the context of, like, when the tabernacle was built, like, uh, that's where the Lord was present, and that's where, at the time, the Israelites found shelter, was in that tabernacle. Um, and that was, it just served as that point to go of, hey, we're protected here, because we know the Lord dwells here. Um, so and just a couple more points on the shadow of the Almighty. So, um, so some of the commentaries I looked up was talking about that it's kind of like we're to think of it as this perceived boundary um, for the Lord. Like those that are covered in this boundary have his salvation um, when thinking in terms of Christ. Like, you know, as believers, we're covered by the, the blood of Christ, which just grants full access to his His throne room of grace. Like what Jesus did on the cross um, provides salvation and protection that stresses beyond any boundary that we would consider in this life. Um, so that's kind of the idea of that first verse. Um, it's just basically finding complete rest, safety, eternal rest, safety in the boundary that um, of Christ's blood that he died for us. Um, so with that, let's just, uh, we'll continue on to Verse two, so verse two says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Um, so I'd say the key word here is my, we see my say twice here, or three, actually three times. So my refuge, this is my fortress, my God. Um, so the idea behind my here, it kind of just helps, it could be mean a lot of different things to say. So if it said A here instead, when I was going through this, so if we had, if it said like a refuge, a fortress, a God, it kind of kind of dumbs it down when you put it in that way, right? It doesn't kind of make it seem like it's anything special. So I think it was there was a reason onto why my was said here instead because it stands out above anything else in any other context. Um, so and then so it helps. So with that being said. Um, it emphasizes that, you know, only God is good enough for trust, for protection. And that's what it was here. That's what the Psalms are trying to do. They're trying to help us be overwhelmed by who God is as opposed to the earthly things that we can tend to cling on to. Um, so we see also 
in like refuge, fortress. So the past couple Psalms that we've seen also have used those words too. Um, so that obviously means they must be very important. Um, we, so, you know, as I said earlier, we all have, I feel like those shelters, those f- fortresses that we tend to hold on to and then at one point or another, they s- tend to collapse. Like a couple examples in my life was, so when I was about 16, I was going up to get some fans down from my <laughs> attic and I was climbing down, one of, the thi- one of the ladder handles broke and I broke my wrist. Um, there was, it was a, you know, as I was going up the ladder, it was, at the time, I was trusting that this thing was going to protect me, but it didn't. Um, another example is even just being a father to Wesley. I've seen him fall down <laughs> countless times so far. He has like this block toy that he tends to grab onto that he plays with, and there's been like at least five times he would grab onto it, and then he would just, the thing would just fall on him. Um, so... I feel, felt like those were good examples of, you know, we have those things in earth, or earthly lives that we feel like we'll hold on, they'll be sturdy enough, but in the end, they're just bound to crumble. Um, so, um, so let's see what the, as we continue on here, let's see what, we, uh, what the rest of the uh, Psalms have to say. So verse 3 says, For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Um, so that's a little big word there. Uh, I'm not sure how many people have ever heard snare of the fowler. Um, it's definitely a phrase that if you're not a hunter, you're probably not too familiar with, unless you you know, have seen, read, been a big fan of the psalm and have read it over and over again and looked into it. But So the idea behind the, the snare of the fowler is basically, it's a metaphor to illustrate God's power. So basically a snare, what it is, it's a device to basically trap um, fowl. So fowl tends tends to be animals like duck, goose, turkey, those things that hunters typically like to hunt. Um, To just give a a plain example of the idea here. So a snare is, from what I gathered in research, it's basically like a long wire with a loop that could be hanging from a tree, some object, that when an animal goes by, it would basically catch it. It would, snap, it would snatch the animal um, by its neck, most, most commonly, depending on where it's positioned. Um, but so, but to how does, in terms of how that relates to what is going on in this text here, is that, you know, with, like many animals, that we actually can be very like these animals. We're deceived easily. <laughs> um, like, you know, not, it doesn't have to be exactly a snare that we're deceived by. It can be any, any type of thing, whether it's being deceived by another human being, by some other idea or some sort of motive, motive that's out there. Um, but the idea that this third verse is getting at is just that, um, that it's the idea of he'll, be protect, he'll protect you from danger. He'll protect you from those deceitful things that tend to happen in our lives. Um, and the first example of that is we saw back in Genesis 3 in the garden. Um, so in Genesis 3.1, we saw that Satan say to God, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Um, then like Genesis, the next couple of verses, Eve reiterates what God says. We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. And then, uh, you know, Satan responds after Eve 
But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows what, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So Eve first reiterates what God said word for word to her, then Satan counteracts with a lie that Eve fell for. So to me, this is kind of that first snare of the Fowler moment that we really kind of witness in creation. Um, and that's, I figure what a better way to kind of illustrate the point more than just like given, going back to that example that a lot of us know very well. So the next part of that verse that mentions about a deadly pestilence. Um, so it's just continuing on what God said that it, you know, uh, he'll protect you from the pestilence as well, any pestilence as well, which during Old Testament times, pestilence was used as a um, mechanism for those who were unfaithful to God during those times. Um, you know, one example was during the time of Pharaoh, um, he, he, when he held the Israelites captive and had Egypt endure a bunch of plagues, as a result, you know, pestilence was one of those plagues. Um, so that's probably kind of kind of what the idea was in terms of the context of the word there, most likely, but it still applies either way. Um, so the takeaway here is, well, um, what, that, you know, for, in the case of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's army was swallowed in the Red Sea as a result of their unfaithfulness. God ultimately won, God got his way in, in the end, and those that dwelled in this protection will not, didn't succumb to any of the snares or pestilences that ended up happening. So with continuing on in verse four, we see it says, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shelter and a buckler. Um, so this kind of just helps continue the part of what verse three is saying. Um, those that are not familiar with the word pinions, it's just a outer part of a bird's wing to include, that includes like the flight feathers um, so in verse 3, we saw the illustration of God being kind of a shield to falling for those deceitful things, the snares um, in, in this earthly life. Um, and verse 4 is kind of painting a better picture of that in terms of what God's role is in that. So I like to think, so we, short, in terms of like, you know, the bird example, right? I mentioned like turkeys, those things that are commonly hunted. Now, we can kind of think of God as being that mama bird, right, that's, that went off to get some food for the young, and on her way back, she saw her baby heading towards, say, that snare that I mentioned, that loop that it was being set up, that was set up by a fowler. Um, and she saw that and then ref, rescued her baby before that danger. That's kind of what God, God can kind of be to us. He's the one that will rescue us from those deceitful snares that are in our lives. So to kind of continue on um, with, the, with that kind of um, thing, we'll explain, we'll start reading uh, verse five. So verse five, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Verse six, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Um, so one thing that was tough about the Psalms, it was there's a lot of reoccurring things. There's a lot of, emphasis on saying, emphasizing the same thing and di using different words. Um, but the idea here is outside of God's protection, we are such fragile beings, whether it's by day or night, and we're just so sinful that we just um, easily are carried away by fear. Um, so in previous verses, we saw 
that, you know, there was a string of metaphors that were used to show the magnitude of God's protection um, from danger and evil. Here in verse 5 and 6, the psalmist is using an illustration that you will, basically, when, you know, when, you're living, when you're truly living under God's protection, you will not fear anything in this life. Um, whether it's darkness, the pestilence that was mentioned, um, faithful, faithfulness, will, true faithfulness in God will outweigh any destruction or danger that we may encounter. Um, Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, fools despise wisdom and destruction. So I feel like that verse kind of sums up this text well. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Um, so just to continue on with uh, verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 7 and 8. Next, uh, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Verse 8, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Um, so this kind of gives a little battle, I'd say a battle scene type picture. So that's probably why, you know, there's a lot of people in the army that kind of like this uh, verse because it kind of gives some pictures of their, their particular lives. Um, but it's kind of just continuing on um, with the point that those that preserve the purity of the Lord, no matter the circumstances, they're are living in, and will be assured God's protection. Um, just kind of like, you know, the sprinkling of blood secured the firstborn of the Israelites back in the Old Testament while thousands of others fell, or, you know, just like Christ shedded his blood for us, ultimately, to serve, to basically serve as an indestructible force to what would be all of humanity laying waste to God's judgment, but provided a refuge to those that would would trust in him and walk faithfully in him. So that also at the in that verse, we saw this big word towards the end, recompass. So what recompass means, it's basically just to give back in return or pay for your expenses. Other translations, such as the King James, will use reward here. Um, so ultimately, what is being expressed here is those that um, willingly choose to oppose opposition to God will end up paying for their damages in judgment. Um, Earlier in Israelite's history, uh, the Lord intervened at the Red Sea, like I mentioned um, in the time of Pharaoh, to save his people from the Egyptian cavalry. Um, so the, there was a couple of sequence events to that. So he caused a pillar of cloud to come between the Israelites and the Egyptians protect, to protect the Israelites. Um, he also provided a safe path through the Red Sea to his people, but brought out waters together when the Egyptians started going after them. Um, as a result, the cavalry drowned in the sea. And, um, so basically the takeaway, God, when God chooses to intervene on behalf of his people, nothing can stand in his way. Those who trust in the Lord will escape God's judgment, but they will also witness it. Um, so continuing on with the verses, um, verse 9 says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, uh, verse 10, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. So as we see, there's just kind of the same theme is kind of continuing on from verse to verse to verse. Um, but one thing I kind of want to pay attention to here is kind of some of the words we see in these verses. Uh, so the first word we see is because. Um, and then some other translations, um, such as like the NIV, will use if and NSAB is for, um, 
Verses, so kind of this kind of, these couple of verses will end up tying back to the first couple of verses where it's the ideas, or the, the results of verses one and two is connecting trust to obedience. So what verse nine is, and 10 is describing that if you're obedient and you trust in the Lord, um, you, you will dwell, he will be your dwelling place because um, he will be your refuge for you made the Lord your refuge if the Lord is your refuge. Um, so it's kind of just um, connecting those pieces together that if you actually take the leap of faith and actually walk faithfully, you know, you will be assured um, that no evil will be, um, will befall you. So... And then, like, as, since we have been talking about Israel in the Old Testament, since that's kind of what the psalm is, is kind of during that time period. So, like, Israel was supposed to regard God as, you know, an example, as they were supposed to regard God as their supreme king. And in some ways, they did. Um, he had promised to protect the nation. And what did the people of Israel do? They still wanted an earthly king. <laughs> um, and, you know, those that have read the book of Samuel, that it was around that time, and they saw that, you know, he was very displeased with that. Um, and God was just telling Samuel, just let them, just let them have their earthly king. This, we'll, we'll give, I'll give it to them. Um, so, and what, and what, so, you know, God just gave them what they wanted, and what ended up happening was one king fell, then the next king fell, and so on, and so forth. Um, they preferred an earthly king to the most high or to the one who's considered the most high. Um, and that's what we tend to do too. We hold on to idols that we prefer. Even when we're trusting God, we still have idols that we hold on to just like the Israelites did. Um, you know, so God, earthly kings will die, pass away, but the most high is the eternal king. And that's kind of the, the idea there. So, um, to kind of touch upon more on what's in verse 10, it's important to note that the Bible does not promise a perfectly safe, easy life to those who believe in the Lord. You know, as we read the Psalms, we tend to think that, you know, we're just going to be completely protected, nothing will happen, but that's not what's going on here. Um, so to kind of illustrate that more, I kind of wanted to touch upon some things with Job. The, um, Job is definitely one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Um, he was, a man, he was a righteous man. He went under a lot of different trials, um, but God intended them for a purpose. So I just want to kind of highlight a couple of them to kind of explain these, you know, these couple of verses we're looking at. So, you know, in the beginning of Job, he, uh, you know, he had about seven sons, three daughters. He had also some farm animals. He had like 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, a lot of animals. Um, at the beginning of his journey. And there's like a little blurb in the first chapter that I just wanna kinda go over here because I feel like it will help illustrate this point. So um, further in the first chapter, we see that Satan um, questioned these elements of prosperity um, and, um, to God. And I just kinda wanna read that text just to kinda, you know, just help see what's going on here exactly. So. In the, in the verse 8 of chapter 1 of Job, the Lord said to Satan, You have considered my servant Job, that there is none of like him on this earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. 
Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God nor for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretched, but stretched out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will cure you to your face. So basically a takeaway here just from those verses are um, God advertised Job's faithfulness to Satan. Satan doubt, doubts obedience, that Job could actually be obedient um, with no sign of physical protection of uh, Job's possessions. That Satan asserts that if God took away all of Job's possessions, that Job would become disobedient towards God, which in turn is doubting what God has said about Job's obedience. Um, so kind of what follows in the following, ver- you know, what, after that part in the same chapter is a series of events where Job would lose his animals, he would lose his family, he would lose his house to um, people like the Sabians, the Chaldeans. There was, you know, storms his children died in. Um, but what the key thing was, once all that happened, it's kind of, it's the words of Job after that is what we, we need to kind of cling on to here. And so in Job chapter 1, verse 20, um, Job fell on the ground in worship. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin nor charge with God with wrong. So he this guy, he lost everything, and then all he could do at the end of it was be praise God. Um, and that's kind of what we need to do. We need to just praise God no matter what trial we're going through. Um, and then what we see is, you know, all the way at the end of the book of Job, at the 42nd chapter, um, he basically was blessed with double of what he had. You know, he now had he ended up having like 14,000 sheep, 6,000 cannibals, 1,000 oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And he also had seven, he got, you know, seven more uh, sons and daughters. So God will bless for those who basically stay faithful. Um, but, and one other example, kind of that's opposite to Job that many of us might be familiar with was Peter. Um, the time that, you know, I think many of us are familiar with the time that P- Peter denied Jesus three times. Um, so I just kind of want to re- go over that quickly, kind of as a counter example of what we experienced with Job. So Matthew 26, 33, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the disciples said the same. Um, and then what ended up happening later? Peter denied Jesus three times. <laughs> so what does that tell us um, in that example? That um, when, believe, when people, they can, may trust Jesus, there's a lot of us that will trust Jesus, but then when the going gets rough, um, we cave and we don't stay faithful towards him. Um, we don't, a lot of us don't end up seeing um, the internal good or leaning on God and because it's not, he's not giving us the protection in the moment that we expect him to. Um, and we'll see kind of more of that as we kind of finish this psalm. So let's uh, continue on. Uh, so verse 11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Uh, verse 12, the, On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Um, so this kind of makes reference to angels. 
Um, so like humans, angels were another thing that God created in a spiritual aspect. Um, they kind of serve a bunch of different purposes to serve the people that God saves, to deliver um, messengers, to deliver messages. So angels are, you know, they're met, they, at the core, they're, def, they're uh, messengers to wage spiritual battle, to worship God, to serve, to execute judgment, and to aid in the transmission of God's word. Um, so they're not, I mean, a lot of those things we're expected to do as well, but they're just, um, they're also, there's certain things that angels will assist with that, that humans can't do. Um, but the more, but those are just some of the things that, God, you know, angels do like we do, but um, that's kind of not what I wanted to completely highlight there when it says angels. So the idea with this verse is um, we see a misquotation of the, these verses in Matthew that I want to highlight, um, where, J, where Satan tries to use these verses against Jesus. Um, so I just kind of want to read these verses and kind of go through that to kind of go over these sets of verses. So starting in Matthew 4, verse 3, um, it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, and then it kind of continues on, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, verse 6, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So that's kind of where we got our, our psalm quotation. Um, so we kind of see, you know, Satan quotes the verses 11 and 12 in Matthew 4. Um, you know, when Jesus could easily do these things Satan said. He could jump off the temple, um, but it wouldn't really be proving any point because then it would, in reality, if Jesus just jumped off the temple, what does that show? That we could just jump off of anything or do anything that's kind of silly and expect Jesus to be there to rescue us. Um, so that's kind of, you know, what Satan was trying to do, was trying to, to twist the context of what that's, these, you know, verses were trying to get at. Um, but as we briefly covered with, you know, trials and Job, um, but it wouldn't really follow, follow the plan that, you know, suffering in this world is needed um, for the kingdom to advance. Um, the pa passage, much like the psalm, is also highlighting, you know, not to put yourself in unnecessary danger. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, you know, kind of some earthly examples like, you know, we wouldn't just jump out of a, like, a plane without a parachute. We wouldn't drive into oncoming traffic. Um, and I'm going to make fun of JB on this one. Um, at Highland, we wouldn't go off a trail called Tombstone at a mountain bike park. <laughs> Um, with just without really knowing what we're when we know there's a a certain danger, um, and Jesus would you know continue in Matthew he would say Jesus said back to him again and is written you shall now put the Lord to your God to the test. Um, verse eight again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him that all the kingdoms of the world and the glory, um, and he said to him all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So that. So that's what uh, Satan was 
kind of you know responded back and then just to kind of continue on more verse 10 says for it is written you shall worship the lord your god and him only shall you serve um, so besides you know quoting these things there's you know other temptations that are mentioned in this chapter that um, satan tries on jesus to tie us back to say verse 3 um, of the psalm with the snare of the fowler example so this is kind of you know satan again trying to trying to be deceitful um, and that's just another example of that of you know what we saw in verse 3 um, but then you know as we with jesus responses to satan in matthew 4 um, what do you do what he does is just point us back to god in, in a time of trouble um, so with that being said we let's just continue the, um, the rest of the this psalm so verse 13 says you will tread on the lion and the adder the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot so and those that are not familiar with adder it's just kind of another name for a snake um, there's other translations that will use cobra there instead of adder um, but the uh to kind of illustrate this this verse more i just want to take a look into luke chapter 10. Um, so because the this verse is partially quoted in Luke chapter 10, and I think that will give us better light on what's exactly being said here. So kind of in Luke 10, 19, we have it say, um, Jesus said, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on the serpents and the scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Um, so just to kind of give context on this part of Luke, it was a time where um, there was about 70, 72 disciples, different from the 12 that most of us are familiar with, um, were returning from evangelistic journey and healing mission that Jesus sent them on, um, where he was telling them to keep the following in mind when he sent them out. Um, he wanted them to go visit all the places Jesus was about to go to, to be wary of danger, live by faith, um, don't, you know, don't bring any extra materials. Stay focused on the mission he gave them. Be content with what he gave them. Um, healing the sick and pro basically proclaiming the kingdom was the main thing. Um, when the disciples got back from this mission, um, they were rejoicing that they had this power and they were able to heal all these people um, that Jesus gave to them. Um, what we see in the following verse, in the next verse, verse 20, is uh, Jesus, what Jesus really wanted them to get out of that mission. So verse 20 says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Um, so he's basically saying that, you know, sure, you know, casting out demons was good. That's, it definitely was a good thing that you guys did that. But the more important thing is that you guys stayed faithful and now your names are written in the kingdom of heaven. And that's kind of, you know, what is kind of being alluding to there with uh, stepping on the snakes per se. Um, but as we discussed with Satan misusing verses like 11 and 12 in Matthew 4, I wouldn't advise anyone to go probably stepping on a cobra or any other form of snake or try to wrangle a lion if they really don't have any reason to. <laughs> So that's another uh, a takeaway here. So uh, just to kind of finish up the last uh, couple of verses here. So at verse 14, um, we see it say, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him um, because he knows my name. 
Um, When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him um, my salvation. So what we see in these verses, um, unlike the other verses that we just read, um, this is kind of, it's in first person, but it's kind of in the, it's in the perspective of God himself. And I think that was done on purpose to kind of emphasize the point of staying faithful to him, you know, because it says, I will protect him. I, w- I will deliver him. I will protect him. You know, there's a bunch of I, I, I in there. To ver- he's really driving home a point that if you remain faithful, all these things will happen to you. Um, and will happen to you if you remain faithful. So um, we also saw that in verse 9, because was also used again um, there um, to illustrate, you know, because you do these things, you will receive the protection that you that uh, you need. Um, you know, verse 14 uses me, where verses 9 uses um, because you made your dwelling. Yeah, cause the, the, because you made the Lord your dwelling place. Yeah. So it's just, there's a couple, you know, it uses me um, in this one, but I think it's just to help, help with the verse. It's really meaning the same thing, that b- because you remain faithful, you will see all these blessings that God will give you in your life. Um, so as, we, as I've stated before, previously, you know, it's not just a matter of trust. It's a matter of being obedient. And then God, will, because you're obedient, God will do X, Y, and Z for you. Um, so that's kind of, you know, a lot of reoccurring themes out here. So, so what exactly do we do with this message this morning? So in general, the Old Testament tends to present a problem that Jesus must ultimately fix. Um, and the problem that, you know, un- that's under the hood of this psalm is that um, we do a poor job of walking faithfully um, and trusting in Jesus. You know, sometimes we may ha- we tend to maybe for a period of time have one, we may trust him, but we don't really, aren't really uh, obedient towards him. Um, but even, you know, I mentioned that, you know, I did this, the Corinthians about a, a year ago. You know, there was still a, a similar problem there. Um, they had bad attitudes and they weren't, the Corinthians weren't walking faithfully in God. Um, and even though we have like, a millions of reasons why we can be it. We aren't obedient and trust, trustworthy towards Jesus. We keep running to all the shelters, the structures <coughs> that are, <coughs> excuse me, bound to collapse over and over again when we have Christ Jesus, who is a fortress that will never collapse. Um, so kind of other takeaway th- points, um, you know, the structures, the idols, they aren't built of this earth, aren't built to last, but God is. Um, you can't have trust with obedience. Um, as believers, we, you know, I know I'm guilty of it. At times I may say I trust God, but I'm not always walking faithfully with him. Um, and I think the idea is that we need to walk more faithfully with him in our lives. Even when the going is getting rough, um, we need to be like Job and just be like, praise God, you know? Um, it's very hard for us to do, but um, I think that's what that's what the psalm is saying here. Unbelievers, I feel like it's a similar message. Uh, maybe it's unbelievers. It's more of you know we those 
shelters, those fortresses that we're clinging onto and we're maybe realizing that they, now that they're just collapsing over and over again and we need to start, you need to start taking those steps of repentance um, and, lean on, and lean on Jesus who was a fortress that won't collapse. Um, and one other thing I wanted to share here, I saw a, a post from Craig Alsip. He's one of our um, missionary partners. Um, that was also, it was, it was really good what I read. He was talking about how, um, you know, we got a response from one of his uh, sponsors about, because uh, he's, uh, I think, over in Nepal right now, but it said uh, he got, like, a response from someone, I think it was one of his sponsors that he works with, but the, the person said, I would prefer you to stay in our own country to help our own children and not waste your time traveling globally. globally. You are needed at this, at home. God bless um, so, the, so this is an example of, I feel, a, a person who m- maybe trusted Jesus, but he wasn't really being obedient because, you know, God, and Craig was highlighting that, you know, God says to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, not just our own country. Um, and that wasn't planned, but I saw that, and I was like, that was a good example of someone who probably trusts in God, but isn't, wasn't being obedient. Um, so, um, and just the end, I want to just kind of end with a chap, verses that we're all pretty familiar, familiar with, uh, John 3.16, um, says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son to in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. So, uh, so the psalmist was very confident in his praise to the Lord in this psalm. I think we all need to do a better job of being confident and walking faithfully in the Lord in this life. Um, So let's pray on that. Dear God, uh, thank you for the Psalm 91. Um, It definitely wasn't the easiest psalm to go through, um, mostly because there's always a lot more to unpack, and it's always difficult to find the right main points that will really drive home the message of what we all, what you want us to all learn here. Um, but regardless of our shortcomings, our weaknesses, you are good, and you, you, are, you will find a way to use this psalm to uh, get more people to draw towards you. Help us all be, be more like what we saw in Job, that when the times are getting rough, um, when it just seems like nothing's going our way, we're losing everything, that we just praise your name, that we're just walking, that we still walk faithful, faithfully in you, no matter what storm is coming our way. Um, and we just love you, and we just hope that you can uh, help us stay faithfully, just help us take any small step of faithfulness that we may be lacking, whether it's even just simple prayer that says, God, help me, be more faithful in my walk with you. Um, So let's just uh, rest on that truth this morning. And we love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.